I was just telling Nikki, I went to go sit into my car after unloading groceries into my house, and I hit my head on the side of the car, and then I closed the door on the other side of my head, so surprised my head didn't get popped like a pimple. I was like, I told him, I was like, this sounds like something straight out of Three Stooges, mm, or like is, a kid's is, movie. There's no way that really happened. I know it did, but there's no way right. it did. Life has been Three Stooges since yesterday, too, because, so we, uh, Hara and I, we got, like, we got the dogs geared up to go on a little walk, and uh, she took them down to the end of the driveway while I locked up the door. And I get there, and she goes to hand me Kirby, but she accidentally lets go of Daisy, and Daisy just takes off, running down the street. Like, she's probably, like, six inches off the ground, and she's tiny. She didn't look back a single time. She just, like, felt freedom, and then just took off. So I go to chase after her. I knock Kara over, and I drop Kirby, and then I quickly reach to grab Kirby again, and I knock her again, but she's wearing like leggings and doesn't have pockets, so I have both of our phones in my short pockets, and they're like gym shorts. So I have Kirby like halfway up the leash, and his little like poop bag holder is like dangling down. I'm like tucking my arms against my pockets so that my, the phones don't go flying. I kick his poop bag holder open, and his poop bags are streaming everywhere. And I'm trying to run after Daisy as she's just running in the middle of the road. I'm worried cars are coming. I'm trying to like go fast, but also not have our phones fly out. And I finally get to her and I turn around and Kara's we're the, all, all the way at the other end of the block. Kara's laying on the ground. I'm like, all right, let's go see what's going on with mom. And of course, Kirby's like, hold up. And he takes a massive shit. And I don't have any bags because his bags went flying out everywhere. So I'm like, come on, let's fucking go. And so I get back to Kara and she's like, in tears on the ground, her knees are like super swollen and bruised because she got like tackled to the ground by me on accident. But so walk ended immediately. Oh, beginning of the walk that wasn't like mid walk, that wasn't <laughs> that was the very beginning of the walk. I well. thought she was gonna be on the ground because she was laughing so hard at you. No, oh. she got injured when I like bumped her over. Oh no. Is everyone okay? Are her knees okay? Is your head okay? Did Kirby get to poop peacefully? Yeah, we're all fine. Mm-hmm. I yeah. definitely like whacked her in the head. I knew that like as she was falling. Uh just because like my arms were like flailing everywhere. And I felt bad for that, but I didn't realize that her knees were gonna be as bad as they as they are. Ugh. This is why it's just always better to never leave your house. Just oh, yeah. stay there. All your stuff is there. Your, you know, Netflix subscriptions are inside of it. <coughs> Presumably if you're, you know, if your TV's inside. Just don't don't ever try to do something like that again, okay? Just stay inside. Yeah. Sorry dogs, we're never going on walks again. Yeah. How are you guys? How are you guys doing? Any fun injuries? Um, I actually it's funny you bring up you hitting your head. Um, Alex, we talked about this when we talked about Cronenberg, how I've fainted in college before. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that today because I was at the gym lifting weights. They were literally like seven pound dumbbells. So, I mean, everyone cool your jets. Oh. Um, so I was like looking in the mirror while I was getting swole, right? And Ooh, I look at those guns. Yeah, seriously, it's threatening. threatening. Somebody called Biden because. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> 
Again, we need to control talk, those. Talk about yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, and I noticed I like have a permanent like lump on my forehead because of when I fainted in college, and I essentially got like a baseball sized lump on my head. And my, when my professor was like, uh, "Do you want to go to the nurse's office?" No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. He's like, "Carry well, on, teach." Yeah, he's like. I actually need you to leave because you have a, like <laughs> a ball on your head. And he's like, I, he didn't say he couldn't look at it, but he was like close to nausea. <laughs> and here I am like, just like split open, like just needing medical attention. I'm like, no, that's okay. God forbid oh. I have any eyes on me. <laughs> I love that you got kicked out of class in college because you. <laughs> hurt your head and it was distracting your teacher he must have also been a libra because clearly neither of us yeah check it off the bingo card but clearly neither of us are confrontational because he's like hey are you okay and clearly i'm not yeah no i'm fine and he's <laughs> like okay maybe you should go to the nurse and when i don't do it he's like uh yeah i would like you to go to the nurse <laughs> that's how to uh non-confrontational people have a fight um but that's pretty much it um i'm drinking iced coffee i uh got a new phone over the weekend and i became friends with the people at t-mobile okay. and the woman at ulta and did you become friends with them or did they say we're gonna cut you a deal just for today and they like rolled out a bunch well... of phones and you were like these guys have to be my friends okay <laughs> fair point so it did start with a deal but also okay. i'm just i'm a woman of patience mm. and there was another woman who i would describe i hate to use the term karen but you're when gonna we say karen. of not patience a woman of not patience there we go a middle-aged woman of not patience mm -hmm. and we were both actually getting the same deal from one phone to another this woman was like pissed off for one reason or another. Cause I feel like if you're at a phone store, there has to be somebody pissed off, right? It's just yeah, the yeah. rules of like a customer service place. So I always match the energy with like paying too much or not asking questions and just like doing whatever. But anyway, so then I was there for no less than two and a half hours. And so in that time, I did befriend the people at T-Mobile. We were talking. They were asking me about uh, my life. I went to Ulta in the interim. I came back to Ulta, and my friend Delilah from T-Mobile, I showed her the bag. I was like, oh, my God, Delilah, you should have never let me laugh. Leave. <laughs> never let me left. And then I took out everything I bought at Ulta and did a show <laughs> and tell for her at the T-Mobile desk. And then I looked up the horoscope sign of the middle-aged, unpatient woman, and I showed the people at T-Mobile. I said, oh, because they wanted to know, too, because she was so angry. Did they give you her birth date? They were just like, here's her <laughs> personal information, because well, we're frustrated with her. Well, what happened was she left at some point, and they were talking to me about how horrible she was being. And then they brought up horoscopes, because they said they were Leos. I didn't even bring it up. And I was like, oh, I wonder what she is. So then when she came back, my other friend from T-Mobile, not Delilah, mm. he went up to her and was helping her and just out, out, out of nowhere just goes, 
so when's your birthday? (laughs) And I heard this conversation. So then I heard it and I Googled her birthday. And then know it off the top of your head. No, God, no, no, because you know what? He was like, oh, you're a Capricorn. And he said it kind of loud. So then I Googled and then I said, oh, excuse me, could you help me? with this thing and he came over and looked at my phone and I had highlighted a section on my phone of what her horoscope said about her and he was like ah mm-hmm yep yep and then I went over to Delilah I said Delilah could you take a second look at this as well and that's how I spent my Friday night <laughs> so what took two hours was it just like transferring your data from one phone to another or like what yeah and their internet blew so and then you Good know you're not supposed to leave store. Right? I mean, honestly, it was probably the worst T-Mobile store ever. But God, was it fun. So yeah, I was there for a long time. Do you have an iPhone? Oh, God, no. I have an Android. She's a a green bubble for sure. That's weird that... Looks like an iPhone nowadays. Did you have an Android before? Is it what? Hmm? Did you have an Android before you switched? Sure, yes. Oh, you did? So you had to transfer from an iPhone to an Android? No, I went from a Galaxy S10 to a Galaxy S22 Plus. Weird. That is 12 more. Plus. Plus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know where I was going with this. I had to factory reset my phone not long ago, and like the update to transfer my data took like three minutes. So I don't know how T-Mobiles work. Maybe well, you just don't have like gigs and gigs and gigs of photos on your phone. No, I there are like tons of nudes of me on there. Prove it. Hell yeah. Posted on the subreddit. Um, speaking of nudes and deals, accidentally start... posted. <laughs> oh, sorry. This meant to go to my personal Twitter account. Hashtag mm-hmm. Splatter Podcast. Hashtag. There it is. <laughs> uh, speaking of nudes and deals, do you guys hear about a uh, Ali Mando? No. Okay, we're starting this no. one off. I know, I know, Nikki. That was like your childhood crush. Oh reason. my god. Yeah. We're starting this episode off very it's, NSFW. Okay. Brad, if I could on. get a it's boner, not... I'd have it. It's not Howie Mandel. It's Howie Mandel in the Little Monsters makeup, correct? Okay. Yes. Well, it's funny because he released this TikTok in the Little Monsters makeup. No, I'm just Uh-oh. kidding. He didn't do that. <laughs> he really he posted a he made a TikTok of him like superimposed over a man's prolapsed anus and said, "This happened to my buddy. Could it be COVID related? We got to figure this out." And that's the TikTok. No. And I don't know if it's a joke or if it's just like. A boomer, right. like, oh, we need to figure this out as a country. <laughs> like somebody tweeting out, thinking they're texting their nephew. You like, can, how you do can I Google it if you want, but BCR? I wouldn't. Oh, I'm doing it right no. now. What are you talking about? Wait. What do you think? I'm a coward? <laughs> all, right, so all I'm going to type is Howie Mandel TikTok. I yeah. kid you not, in the last week, I have talked about Howie Mandel in Little Monsters, and I have talked about prolapse buttholes. <laughs> Howie Mandel TikTok prolapse full video. <laughs> And it's pro- posted by something on YouTube called Headass. Well, oh yeah, that's blur it, but yeah, it is blurred. Account. It is blurred, but yeah, yeah. How oh, Mandel's deleted. No. How Mandel prolapse video shocks the internet. Quote traumatized. <laughs> Newsweek posted that, so I have utter faith in our uh, journalistic integrity. Thanks, advertising in the internet, for doing wonders for our media. I live and die for shit like this. It doesn't even matter, like. <laughs> how real it is or how you know whatever the thing is like those trashy like tabloid magazines that oh ooh, mm, that speaking of nikki not reading books i'll read that 
It's like a book. It's just. It's just an article. It's a caption. I read a whole article today about John Goslin from John and Kate Plus 8 and his current relationship with his eight children because he (laughs) lives with two of them, Hannah and Colin, for varying reasons. And, oh, oh, I can't wait for like a tell-all book to come out. Oh, my God. So. So speaking of. uh, Yes. Tabloid magazines, I have heard. Yes. Many reports from my peers that a few of you out there like the lustrous sounds of my vocal cords. <laughs> Today, I want to do a little thing where I read. I found a sexy quote generator to deliver this to our masses. However, it is absolutely sexist and it's got horrible people in it. So I'm just going to start. I'm going to read, we'll say five, and we'll just go from there. Um, so this is a quote from our main man. I'm going to go real dulcet and just quiet here. Make it um, ASMR. This is our guy, Steve Martin. And at one point in his life, he said, you know that look that women get when they want to have sex? Me neither. All right. That was Steve Martin. <laughs> Very sexy. <laughs> this is from our girl, Marilyn Monroe. She said, sex is a part of nature. I go with nature. Wink, wink. She said, wink, wink. It's weird. She didn't say that. I made that up. Wait. I can't do this. I can't even get to five. I just, I'm laughing at my own no, bullshit. No, come on. Get to three. Get to three. Oh, boy. Here's one of the sexist ones, if you want me to read that. I mean, I don't, but yeah, go for it. A woman can become a man's friend only in the following stages. First, an acquaintance. Next, a mistress. And only then, a friend. Here's my question, Anton Chekhov. You were pretty lonely, yeah? I imagine this is like the world's first insult. 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 <laughs> I just don't understand. I'm finding a sexy quote generator, and that was a sexy quote, was suggesting that uh, people of all sorts of Genders and backgrounds cannot be have a friendship until they fuck each other. Like, mm, not not so much. Ooh, okay, here we go. Um, uh, wow, this is from. Uh, I'm a big fan of this man, Mitch Hedberg, and the quote is: "I'm a heroin addict. I need to have sex with women who have saved someone's life." I don't understand <laughs> why that's like even a quote. I hate men, and I hate that they are my sexual preference. Ooh, ooh. All right, so this is from uh, Tahere Mafi. I don't know this person. Lift your hips for me, love. That's all it says. I'm gonna vomit. Okay. <laughs> oh, Let's move wait, on. Read, can you read the one Hang that on. Brad put? This, one, this, is, this is Nora Ephron. Shout out to Nora Ephron. In my sex fantasy, nobody ever loves me for my mind. Alright, this has been Alex's <laughs> sex voice corner, and I'm never doing that again. Actually, you're going to do it one more time because I'm telling you to. I need you to look at our chat and read what Brad sent you. I have such delights to show you. Did I do it? <laughs> did you say delights? Yeah, I did. Is that delights? <laughs> Hang on a second. <laughs> I really think that's a... Uh, you could tell me. I um, Speaking of today's topic, a friend of mine purchased me we this t-shirt. We didn't speak of today's topic. <gasps> oh. I've owned this for exactly... Less than 24 hours. And I think oh. that's the code on the back of the shirt. Well, what a good time for us to welcome you, listener, to Splatterbrains, the podcast oh boy. Oh boy. where it is part horror, part ASMR voice erotica. I, sometimes the one and the same. You're welcome. Yeah. Sometimes it's one and the same. This week, we are talking about none other than Clive Barker. 
Uh, I don't usually do that intro. Who let me do this? Someone, <laughs> someone think, take the baton. I, I think Karen did. <laughs> no, I think you're a good person to do it. I feel like you guys, I mean, despite Karen having read more Stephen King than me, like I think, Nikki, you always refer to me as our resident Stephen King guy. I think of you as our resident Clive Barker guy. So It's funny because yeah. I also think of Nikki as like the grumpy one, but clearly I'm the grumpy one. Yeah. So this is all about projecting. That's what our show is about. I am <laughs> I am a blank canvas of which yeah. I am whoever I am supposed to be for the needs of the larger group. That's um, me too. I'm scared that you guys, well, you, Brad, think I am a Clive Barker expert. For all that I know, really, is... I never said expert. So let's clear that up. I feel like you did. Yeah, you did. Rewind the the tape. I probably did. I don't know. the bump on the head, guys. Yeah, his frontal (laughs) lobe is still off. Mm -hmm. Being Um, gaslit. What, are you trying to talk in an alumni work chat? Well, yes. So if, yeah, if, you've, if you've listened to more than one episode, we have made it very clear that at least Nikki and myself and potentially Brad, I don't know. How do you feel about this movie? Good. Two Brad feels up. good about Hellraiser and Karen's not here to speak for herself. So I think she hates it and you should probably go drag her on the internet because of her complete opposite opinion of everybody for, about everything. Hashtag yeah. cancel Kinderman. Hashtag Pacific Rim stinks. Hashtag. It doesn't. I'm sorry, Karen. Sex voice Lupella. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, we've made it very clear that we we're all fans of the film Hellraiser at the very least, and we wanted to do uh, not even a deep dive because we are not the, the podcast for that. You can all read Wikipedia yourselves, but we just wanted to talk about sort of our relationship to Hellraiser, Clive Barker's works, and uh, that's that's it. We like talking about stuff we like, and we already know that we at least like Hellraiser, so that seems like a good place to get your foot in the door. Um, I would actually, you're going to think this is absolutely crazy. I would love to kick off the Clive Barker conversation with a one to two minute discussion of my experience watching Rawhead Rex for the first time. Did you you watch it today? Yeah, I literally (sighs) just wrapped up the last 10 minutes as we jumped on this call. I don't think you're crazy because that was a, a big facet of things I want to talk about. So please tell me about your experience. So, Brad, have you seen this? I have not. Okay. It's like um, pretty easy to follow. It's a couple, a uh, couple of two tree uh, folks in Ireland, and there's a big demon monster killing people, and that's kind of that's kind of the whole movie. It's like a hundred movies like it from the 80s um and you're missing some of the good stuff i why am i talking this is your no 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 because i i want to pass it to you because i also uh to be completely transparent did a really bad job paying attention to it because i also was telling brad i kind of wanted to nap instead of watching it so i kind of like closed my eyes and then opened them at times so really the gist of the movie i got was this nine foot my monster who was very funny looking mm-hmm. um killing jacket. some people yeah, like there was also yeah, there yeah. was like a ton of like tonguey kissing and I, listen i don't want to attack mm-hmm. anyone's looks but there's i'm just gonna say it there's no hot people in this movie everyone is just very average to below average looking which i i I say respectfully. No, no, that's, that's fine. Could you pause for just one second? I just want to bring us sure. back to Alex's like, voice corner and say, tonguey kisses. All right, <laughs> go ahead. Keep going. 
Yeah. Tongy kisses. Yeah. Um, so I feel like there's something I missed in either the intro or the plot. There's like a guy in a church who is evil, hence where this like demon Rawhead Rex character comes from. Why were why were people smooching so much? Is this like a demon that kills sexy sex time people? He also killed a kid, so I I don't know. What did I miss? That's that's where I'm at. I uh I'd like you to just keep asking questions that never have answers. Because okay. it's really great. And uh, to put things into perspective, uh, this movie is not like the story at all. Uh, the story takes place in a tourist town in uh, southwest western England. And uh, I don't, I haven't read it in a really long time. It is in the Books of Blood. And Rawhead Rex, the name Rawhead, is a euphemism for a penis. So it is about a penis monster attacking the countryside. Is that what you got from this movie? Um, no, but I did yeah. see I when I Googled stuff afterward, I was like, oh, yeah, like Rawhead is supposed to be penis oriented. I it's to be honest, I don't think he's the most phallic penis like no. creature I've ever seen in a horror movie. No, and he, he has not. this protruding mouth situation that really takes him away from being penis like. Well, you know, it it's not move. like a dome. It's a it's a rubber mask that is stationary, which is. One of my favorite facets of the film. If you couldn't tell, uh, Clive Barker, not happy with the results of this film. And it does not represent his story You and me both, Clive. Yeah, yeah. So I have a history with it of just like a curiosity. It was sort of in my early, I'm looking for, when I thought that it was fun to say like, I like to watch, and I quote, bad movies. But nowadays I'm like, uh, no, I enjoy films, including Rawhead Rex, for what they are, not because I want to make fun of them. Sure, there's an ineptitude, but, like, they tried so hard, and some of the shit they do in that movie is so insane, where you're like, wait, this is where that's going? Like, the kid getting eaten in the car, uh, and it just that happens. That was a cool you're, scene. You're like, there's no way this kid's gonna die, and then he's just dead. Like, all of a sudden, you're like, the kid gets out of the car to take a leak, and then he's just attacked by Actually... the monster. Actually... Okay, you've watched it more recently than I have. Yeah, I've probably watched it most recently of anyone on the planet, like within the last hour, unless someone just finished it just now or like yes, that's true, just now. Um, yeah. So there's this cool scene, Brad, where this family of four they're in a van. There's a little boy and a little girl, and the little girl has to pee, so she gets out of the car to go pee. She screams. Both parents go to attend to her and the little boy is still in the van and then rawhead rex like peeks through the window comes to grab him and then the dad starts like running over to him this part was kind of interesting to me so the dad like runs back over to the van and then he sees rawhead rex pop up from the other side and like instead of the dad just like immediately like bolting continuing to bolt toward the van because he's like oh shit he like stops and pretty much is already like, oh, like, well, my son's kind of like already dead. So he stops <laughs> and like screams like while he the creature like goes back into the car instead of like trying to stop it, which I thought was like, honestly, I think it was a very real response. I think that's what most people maybe would do. It's like, oh, I, I'm not really going to get there in time. Like the 10 feet. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. It's, yeah, I'll watch uh, it. It's, it's, it's. I think it's really entertaining. I, I, 
I remember a friend of mine who introduced me to a lot of like obscure or bizarre cinema uh, in uh, the Twin Cities when I lived there in my early 20s. I had him basically find that movie for me on some torrent page, probably, because it wasn't readily available all over the place. I did not have a um, VCR at this point anymore. Like There was just no way for me to watch it. And so he found it, and he brought it over, and I watched it with him and my brother who was visiting at the time. And the thing that was funny about that was that like, I I had seen the trailer for it cause this was early days of YouTube. And I was like, okay, that was, that was wild. Specifically the, uh, the priest scene at the end when he decides to quote, worship him. Have you gotten there yet? Yeah, but that is kind of when I started to jump onto this call. So I kind of have to rewatch the last. So you just watched the minutes. priest get, uh, potentially peed on potentially otherwise on, uh, by this this rubber mask leather jacket creature and yeah yeah it's 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 pretty crazy uh and then uh i hadn't heard anything about it in years like i just we just had like a night where we all watched it and it was like a fun moment for all of us and i haven't heard from this person in years and i get a message online that's like hey what's your current address and i was living in chicago at the time and it was like this and uh like lo and behold like a couple days later the 2K restoration of Rawhead Rex Blu-ray shows up in the mail for me. So I have a physical copy of this movie. I have like, I think, six or seven Blu-rays, and that is one of them. <laughs> yeah, it's the restoration cool. of it. Yeah, it's very silly. Uh, you, If you saw an image of it, you'd be like, oh, I actually think the story is a, like a good horror story. And specifically, there is um, been out of print for many years, but um, an Eclipse comic retelling of it that has really cool artwork that I highly recommend if you can find some of it. It's out there in the world. I have a print of it on my wall, but it's just funny because the movie is clearly not the scary part of this whole business, but uh, that comic is very cool. Yeah, uh, I'm glad I watched it because I I, um, I don't know, it just seemed like there's no way in a million years I would see that movie and even think to associate it with Clive Barker in any way. Like I would have just thought it was some low budget, some name. Um, Cause there's just so many movies like that from the eighties. And I, I know it was his story. It was based off of like the screenplay he wrote. Um, but yeah, so, and it was really interesting because that came out in 1986 and Hellraiser, the movie came out 1987 and just even from a god i don't know like a technical like a cinematic standpoint they're just night and day and how they look like you would think there's a decade between those movies so i thought that was cool looks like a movie that was shot in 1968 it is unbelievable how low quality it just looks super and even yeah just like the fashion the style like i when i was watching it I actually thought to myself, like, if I didn't know that this had come out in 1986, like, when, like, what would my guess be? And I would have thought, like, maybe 75, 74. So it was really interesting just to know that (laughs) Hellraiser was definitely in the makes of some sort while this came out, uh, which is kind of cool. So that's really Mm -hmm. all I had to say about Rawhead Rex. But I'm glad I saw and can add it into my pocket. Mm -hmm. I... It's uh, it's interesting because I don't know if this is actually related because I did not do the research on this specific topic, but I imagine that has a huge part in why the result of that film is a huge reason why Clyde Barker actually directed 
Hellraiser in the first place, though I do know that Hellraiser was always intended to be a film, and the book was more or less written to uh, get funding for this. I'm ripping this off of a YouTube video I watched about the history of this. It's not like I came up with that on my own. Yeah, it I, that was something I um, read. I, I know you made a joke about anyone could just look up Wikipedia and not have to hear us talk, but or we could look it up for you and read from Wikipedia. Sure. But uh, Rawhead Rex and Underworld, both screenplays that Clive Barker wrote, were both directed by um, this guy, George Pavlow. And because he didn't like how those came out, that's when he was like, I'm um, now riffing. He was like, fuck you. I'm going to direct now. I don't think he would have said that, but it it's implied. And that's why he moved to directing Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. So, shall we transition to my favorite? I don't know if you did it on purpose or not, but it's funny that we started with Sexy Voice Lupella because so much of Clyde Barker, at least the stuff that I've read, revolves around like weird, dark sex magic. Like it's a plot device, and like all the things I've seen and read of his. Uh, so, his, his writing is, is a huge part of his writing, is expressing. Uh, just sexuality in general, because obviously his sexuality is not of the straight variety, but that was kind of a big deal that he was an out gay man in the 80s as well. Um, uh, but that, uh, yeah, I, that's a huge facet of his work. And uh, that's one thing that I like about him is that there's a couple things that separate him from other horror directors. And one of them is uh, one, that he was a gay man in the 80s. And why is that a big deal? Because he has more sensitivity for a lot of things that, um, some people wouldn't at the time. And so his work is different. Hellraiser is nothing like, like I'm, I'm of the ilk that pinhead is in two movies and that's it. And I don't even like to call him pinhead because that's not what he's referred to in the books. Um, because it sounds too goofy. He's the hell priest and he's just one of the Cenobites. He's Mr. Like, pinhead. Yes. Mr. You. Monsieur pinhead. That's how you say his name. Um, or, uh, yeah, I don't know. His he's more into fantasy and incorporating that into like the grotesque horror that he has, and he's willing to go to really dark and like strange places and also incorporate sex into a lot of that and explore that with this topic, and that may be off-putting to some folks, but that's kind of what makes Hellraiser interesting and unique. The I'm I'm only going to talk about the first two movies because I don't know if either of you have any affinity for the, any of the later ones, but like. It has nothing to do with the, what's good about the story. Yeah, I didn't see these till probably post college. Um, I mean, I grew up like the Hellraiser like box art was really creepy when I was in the video store growing up, and I always saw it and like ran away from the the horror movie section, like scared of you know all of it. But I remember more vividly Mister Mister Pinhead on the box art to Hellraiser. Um, I mean, scared of that. Yeah, I didn't see these till after college, and I think I watched, obviously, the first one. And I think, like, the very next day, my girlfriend and I at the time decided to throw on the second one, and I was, like, hooked. Like, they're so... I didn't. I had no idea what to expect of them going into them. I thought they were going to be, like, slashers and other movies like that at the time, and they obviously are not. It's very dark, and it kind of... Not even a lot of it, hell. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it lingered with me afterward. Like it gave me a sense of like unease that kind of carried on after the movie. Whereas a lot of slashers don't really do that. Like 
I mean, good ones kind of do. Like I talk, quote unquote, good ones. Like I like uh, good and bad slashers. I'm not above that. It's just what yeah. makes this unique is that it's not that in the in the eighties. Yeah, really. The only um, other movie I saw at that time that kind of had like something that lingered with me afterward that kind of made me uneasy at the end. It's Halloween H two O. Boy, <laughs> the Yo. beginning, the beginning scene where like the nurse is coming home and like she doesn't know if there's somebody like, in her house or not, and like her door is open. That's creepy to me. That was like a scene that like lingered with me after, but like everything in Hellraiser and Hellraiser two, like the Leviathan and the just everything about it, it's all very unsettling, and I love it. Yeah, I it's interesting because I know I am kind of the resident like Hellraiser movie lover of our group, but that is really not a movie I grew up with. I don't even have a specific memory of the first time I watched it all the way through, but I think my first introduction to Pinhead uh was maybe like the 90s or early 2000s. There was a show on Bravo that was like a an installment mini series of like the 100 scariest movie moments of all time and they get to um I'm, I googled it to see where Hellraiser was on the list and it was number 19 but that was my first introduction to Pinhead as a character and I remember they were interviewing you know the actors and people involved in the film and someone had mentioned how like uh, the actor Doug Bradley gets a lot of fan mail because like this guy in the Bravo series was like, yeah, people say they like want to have sex with Pinhead and blah, blah, blah. And it was kind of this really interesting moment to me because I remember seeing Pinhead on my screen, having never seen Hellraiser and being like, this is terrifying. And then in this interview, they're saying how like he gets like panties thrown at him basically because he's just like this cool, sexy thing. So I always had this association with like scary, sexy, cool, like the TLC. Oh no, what is it? Crazy, sexy, sexy. cool. There you go. You got it. <laughs> it's a TLC album. That's I think they might have named that yeah. after Hellraiser. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or when he says uh, when he says that in the movie. Yeah. Exactly. Um. <laughs> And then I don't remember the first time I watched Hellraiser all the way through, but sometime in my adult life, I had like sat down and watched it and paid attention. And I was just like, holy shit, this fucking slaps. And honestly, you know what it did? It kind of demoted Halloween for me because Halloween was kind of the movie I grew up being like, Michael Myers is the scariest. Like, this is the classic horror movie that like I love and is my thing. And I do love that movie, but the minute I saw Hellraiser, and like paid attention i was like what am michael who like let's talk about pinhead like and just the the 80s kind of gross almost cronenberg like goopiness to that movie is so good all you need to like really be sold on that movie is the the regrowth scene when uh uh, what's the dad's name in that movie oh you mean when frank no not uncle Frank. frank not uncle frank Uncle oh. Frank is in in the floorboards, but Larry, um, the dad. Larry? Yeah, when he when he like hurts his thumb nailing something, and then he bleeds on the floor, and then the next scene is him sort of the body like recomposing, um, from the floor where you see like the muscles like slap back together over some bones, and like it's so fucking cool. It is one of my favorite sequences. Yes. It's like 
the only thing next to the thing where I'm like the practical effects are just like perfect. So good. And also uh, one other quick note I have to plug. Another reason Hellraiser really sticks with me is that's got to be for me in the top five film scores of all time, Christopher Young. And that scene, there's a song for that scene called Resurrection that's just like this potent, awesome orchestral moment. And I think that is also that plus the graphics of it are just like this beautiful chef's kiss combination. Call back to a Resnice. It's got good graphics. (laughs) (laughs) Good graphics. Oh, yeah. I couldn't think of the word. Good. It It just like looks cool. We knew what you meant. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It it does look great. The movie is interesting. The plot is uh, wholly of its like of itself there. It's like nobody's really a hero other than, I guess, Christy eventually. But uh, like the Cenobites in general, the one thing I'll say about like you were talking about Clyde Barker's weird like his sex magic is that clearly even in the movie, did you read the book, Brad? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, in the book, they're described as uh, interested in, in feelings, all sorts of feelings, not just pain. So pain is a huge facet of it. It's sort of, it's pushing the human experience, not even human, but the uh, experience of just like feel uh, to its utmost extreme. And that includes pleasure. So like they are, intended to be like S&M sex demons and uh, even demon is like oversimplifying it and it's just that seems to be a little clip to the knees in the movie because clearly he wanted the movie to be sexier than it was but like it was still stronger than you would see in other movies where it isn't um, exploitive it isn't like its purpose isn't just to like titillate it's like it's part of the growth of the characters and the reason for their sort of fascination with one another uh, I don't know it's 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 cool. That's uh, I'm Can still you say thinking about it again. Goopy, totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, it sounded yeah. like <laughs> it, I mean, there is also kind of this cool thing, like Pinhead and the Cenobites are s- such an interesting set of characters because, like Candyman, they are things that are summoned. Like they're not going out of their way to be dicks. Like, they're like, you called me. Like, what's up? And um, and it's interesting because, you know, the kind of like BDSM type like thing about the Cenobites is you, you're right. You don't get the like sex for the sake of sex element out of Hellraiser at all. Like, there's really nothing of that ilk in no. the movie. It's just kind of implied by the backstory. But Brad, I'd love to hear kind of your experience reading the book and some comparisons. Yeah. I mean, based on what I remember, I, I think I read the book in like early February of this year. Very short. Uh, mm. Yeah. It, I blazed through it in like a day. Cause it's like 150 pages and the font was like size 80. Um, but from what I remember, it was almost like a one-to-one, like the movie was like a one-to-one adaptation of the book. Um, I think the really relationship faithful. with Christy is a little different. Like, it's not the daughter. I think it was like a friend. Christy. Yeah. Christy, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, she was just kind of there. I don't know if the book really elaborated on who she was. She was, she was definitely all know. a friend of uh, the, I guess, the husband in the story. So, yeah. Okay. But yeah. Uh, I read that shortly after reading his other book, Weave World. I've never read and that. I have it. I've of, never read it. The Cenobites are referenced in Weave World. Um, 
So it's sort of like a Clyde Barker shared universe type deal, which is cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's not, not that much I can say about the book. It, I mean, obviously, it's very good, very short. Nikki, you should read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have faith in you. You can read do all you those tabloids. Do you have a copy of it? I do. Can you bring it Thursday? I was going to say, I'm going to bring it on Thursday when I see you and make you take okay. it. All right, I'll um, read it. I got a Kindle and like... I don't remember. It was like, I don't know, probably close to a decade ago. And that was the first book I got on it. Was that it was cheap at the time. It was like five bucks and it's like 80 pages on yeah. Kindle. Yeah. yeah. Um, one. Sorry, Brad, I interrupted. No, um, I don't really have too much to say. I don't remember too many details okay. that I liked about the book. I mean, I talked about it on the episode that we recorded like right after I finished it. Yeah. It sounds worth the read at a minimum. Um, one thing that I always find so interesting when I rewatch Hellraiser now is it kind of has the Friday the 13th effect to me in so far as when I turn on Hellraiser, I'm like, all right, here's the movie about the Cenobites and Pinhead and they're the bad guys. But when you're watching it, I'm like, oh shit, I kind of forget that Julia is the bad yeah, character Julia for the Frank whole movie. Yeah. Like, you don't even see Pinhead or anyone yeah. till maybe, like, 45 minutes or an hour in. And, like, I forget that she is really the pinnacle of evil in that movie. And then in the sequel as well. And then, like, another character that comes up. So it's like the Cenobites aren't even, like, necessarily the aggressors. They're just, like, a pawn in a larger, like, quote-unquote good versus evil battle. And it's just funny because it's like that story has been so colloquialized to be like oh it's pinhead and the cenobites like fucking shit up and really it's not it's like literally it's all these other asshole characters knocking on the door and pinhead being like yeah you rang like what's up and like but so i don't know that's always kind of a very interesting part of that story to me Shout out to the youtube channel in praise of shadows i've mentioned it 16,000 times on this i've watched it I, that kid is thorough uh, and he does these videos called Anatomy of a Franchise, where he actually does the Wikipedia reading for me. But it's much deeper research than that. And apparently the original intention of the second film was to have Julie resurrected as a Cenobite and sort of to become the main antagonist of the series, like pushing away from Pinhead. Um, and she did not sign on to future installments of the movie. And the film company that owned them at the time, which was New World Pictures, was going under, and so she just kind of backed out, and they reshot the ending when she asked them to not make her the main character, um, so that she wasn't overshadowed by Pinhead as sort of the marketing device. Which I think would be a really amazing place for the story to go. I don't particularly think the sick movie's good, but that's because it went through development hell. They had their budget slashed. Like, it got rewritten because uh, the dad didn't sign back onto the movie, which is why he's only in a flashback. So even though the main plot of the movie is for them to go into the labyrinth and, like, seek Leviathan and rescue the father from that, he's not in the movie. And so they rewrote that, and then they also rewrote the ending, which is unfortunate because... I love the direction that could have taken it in, and I wish that we had more screen adaptations of Clive Barker's actual sequels to that, which I could get into later, which is the comic book series from 2010, which is incredible. I think it's fucking awesome. I love it. Which he actually wrote as a direct sequel to Hellraiser 2. I I think I mentioned this in our sequels episode way back when, 
I really love Hellraiser too. Like there was a minute in time oh. where I'm almost like, do I like this more than the original? The answer I think is no, but Hellraiser, the first one, you know, in some ways, I don't want to say it's a haunted house movie, but it's like a lot of the action depends. Yeah. yeah. Like the action and the horror takes place in an attic and we're kind of, we have this whole universe that we don't get to explore, which is fine. I think there's a lot of movies that start out that way. And then a sequel, you get to explore that bigger universe. And Hellraiser 2, I think we got more of that. And we got more of the Cenobites for that reason. Like it, the movie kind of kicks off with them because Kirsty's in the hospital. And I also thought... Um, that super cool sequence of the beginning of sort of Pinhead's origin story, which is just a guy yes. in the desert. And then the, the actual like effects of him getting all the stuff stuck in his head is very cool. Yeah, it kind of like answered questions you wanted to know in the first movie, but it didn't do it in a way, for me at least, where I was like, oh, like this is too much, like this is too much storyline, like this isn't how I wanted his character to be created. And they also had the inclusion of that doctor who's kind of like Julia's kind of like sidekick character who becomes a Cenobite creature type thing. So I really liked the second one because you got to explore that labyrinth. And that is kind of, I think what Hellraiser 2 is what people, and by people, I mean people who probably haven't seen Hellraiser probably think the first one is mm-hmm. where you're like in the world of the Cenobites, you're in hell, you're seeing Pinhead for a lot of the movie, but that's really like the second one. I think that was the one that, more stuck with me afterward was the second one like just like the idea of like the labyrinth and leviathan and everything like that just these sort of like lovecraftian style entities that exist out there it's a very like this cosmic horror thing it really fucking creeps me out more than anything really and that's what is at the heart of hellraiser a lot uh, would you mind if I give? I've I've talked about it on the show before, but I just want. Can I give the brief premise of the sequel that is the comic book series? Go for it. So, Please. ignoring all the other bullshit that happened between after Hellraiser two, the I read the first four issues in preparation for this. Again, there's twenty issues, and that was the whole series. But um, there was also a series in the '90s that I Clive Barker oversaw, but didn't necessarily write. I have a few of those as well, but. The actual series from I guess Boom Comics is is great, but they um it it more or less explores. You figure out at the beginning that um, Kirsty is a has recruited a bunch of people who have been affected by these um, devices. So there are other like mystical toys of some sort. It's not just the puzzle box. There's like there's a music box. There is a um, a snow globe that all are sort of portals into this this place. I won't necessarily call it hell. Hell is the easiest way for us to describe it because that's kind of how it's intended. It's just a weird otherworldly thing that we can't quite describe. Um, and it's it, she's almost like fronting a team of um, Ghostbusters to try and destroy all of the objects so that there is no way in and out of this hell. Um, however, on the other side of things, it explores, and he's only referred to as the Hell Priest in the comic. He's never referred to as Pinhead, but they are drawn like they are in the films. So it is familiar to people that have watched both of those. Um, and he is um, so tired of all that he got to explore uh, in in this world that he has decided that he wants to become human again 
and attempt to be like reach salvation. So just do the antithesis of what he's been doing. But in the circumstances where he fails, he gets sent back to where he currently resides, but without any sort of status or power. So he just basically becomes an eternally tortured soul in this place. And those are the risks. Um, and he names his successor as Kirsty, unbeknownst to her. So he starts to uh, find followers on Earth to sort of leave her clues um, and eventually try to swap places with her. And it is a it is so interesting to explore both of those characters that, like, I'm not doing it justice because it is really well written. There's uh, fewer, like, I appreciate a comic that they, bigger panels and less of them, um, not because it's shorter, but because you have time to actually explore the artwork and just, like, live in the world and you can tell the story in fewer words. It's a visual medium. That's the point. And it does, it's just fantastic. I, it is one of my favorite things that I've read in relate, like, Next to the first Hellraiser movie, it is my favorite other Hellraiser thing. Pretty cool. And I've seen three, and I've seen a couple of the other dumb sequels later. Which one? I saw... I think it's it's either Revelations or Hellworld, something or another. Basically, the Cenobites are uh, possessing like a fucking MMORPG, and it's the early 2000s, and everyone's dressed like they're in the Matrix... And uh, it's, it's just a slasher movie that has the Lincoln Parks in playing in the background. It's what it kind of feels like. Yeah. Is that the one where they turn a DJ into a Cenobite and he kills people by throwing CDs into their heads? I yes. That's the third one. Isn't oh, is it? that the third God. one? Must be. Yeah. Because I don't remember that. I'll have to look. But which yeah. one does he go to space? Hellraiser uh, in space, baby. Oh, that's just the name of it. <laughs> No, it's not. It's not called that. Oh. I just, I'm I'm laughing because of how many long-term horror franchises went to space, which is just Leprechaun, um, which I've Jason, seen. Jason, Jason X. Yeah, Jason X. Uh, Fucking Alien. <laughs> Ugh, Aliens. A- aliens in out. space. Mm-hmm. Um, Alien, Aliens. Yeah, I I do think that's interesting that exploration because the. Like Pinhead and Kirsty are very interesting characters to explore because of like, you know, it's not just like a woman and then like a bad guy. It's like it's so much deeper than that because of the origin story of like kind of this human exploring pleasure, exploring kind of like this space and time, but not necessarily being inherently evil. And so it's it's also interesting too, like you have um, pieces of media like that that actually explore those story elements and those character elements, and then you know those sequels to Hellraiser that you get in like the two thousands and beyond that are just like, oh, let's explore the like sex murder part of Hellraiser and like make it nasty and just like very much one dimensionalize it. It turned him into just another Freddy Krueger, but it's not about that, and it never was. Yeah. yeah. I was also curious, uh, so I know Clive Barker uh, created, like, the story for Hellraiser 2. Was that a book? Like, Brad, was that part of Hellbound Heart, or was Hellbound Heart strictly the original? Was there a written book for the second one? No, it was just the first one. first one was intended to be a screenplay as well. It, the book came out uh, in a, um, a compilation. I'm trying to remember what it was called. This is also from that video I was talking about earlier where I found that out. Some horror literature compilation book that George R. R. Martin actually edited. 
um, that it was published in, and that was to secure funding for the movie and make the movie. So then there was no written sequel to Hellraiser. It looks like he has, because I mentioned that in Weave World that he references the Hell Priests. Um, I know that when I was reading Clive Barker uh, earlier this year, um, there is sort of a follow-up story in his book, The Scarlet Gospels, that came out in 2017. Um, Detective, uh, formidable, intensely evil rival pinhead so it looks like there are like follow-up stories but it's not the i'm assuming it's not the same story as any of the movies i don't think so i mean i haven't seen all of the other seven sequels so i wouldn't know yeah yeah i also i was um again reading wikipedia Mm -hmm. and i saw this interesting thing i didn't know and curious if either of you know more about this but um i saw that in 2012 basically he was in a coma from getting toxic shock syndrome and um it said it was triggered by a visit to a dentist where a spillage of poisonous bacteria entered his bloodstream almost claiming his life realizing he might uh have a short time to live he decided to put his personal concerns about the world and society into the upcoming novel deep hill which he thought could be his final book um, I didn't read more about that. This said 2012 when that coma incident happened. Have either of you heard of Deep Hill? Do we know if that like came to fruition? But that was kind of a really interesting nugget I knew nothing about. It hasn't come out yet. Oh, is uh, it interesting? Still, it's oh. still being written. Yeah, yeah. Interesting that both he and Stephen King have gone through this sort of, I'm going to die. I need to finish this thing that I'm working on. And obviously Stephen King didn't die. And the books he was working on are kind of maligned, but those being the end of the Dark Tower. Um, do we have any other thoughts about Hellraiser? Because I'd love to talk about his other, probably most famous movie. No, I love Hellraiser. I love Pinhead. Uh, I FYI, love Deep Hill, it says that Deep Hill is going to be a collection of out of print short stories, new short stories, and a novella called Mercy and the Jackal. So that could be. Oh, wait, wait, wait. New novel, Deep Hill. Oh, never mind. He's announcing two things in this, which are, this is unbloody disgusting, uh, which are that he has a new novel called Deep Hill and then is also releasing a collection of out-of-print short stories, new short stories, and a novella in something called Fear Eternal. That was in 2020, September 2020. Um, okay. And he's also said he's got another uh, potentially 250 poems. Clyde Barker likes all sorts of mediums. He has made a lot of things, so... Yeah. He's a I, as well. Look up some of that shit. It's awesome. He's a Libra, by the way. Born October fifth. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm a big fan. I just added a bunch of uh his books to my shopping cart on uh bookshop.org. Have you read any of his fantasy stuff, Brad? Like his non horror, uh what's the the young adult series that he did? Era That's Uh I haven't. I've only read Weave World and The Hellbound Heart. It is called uh Aberat is the name of his young adult series, which is not a horror series. It is a fantasy series. I've always wanted to read that because I would love to see his brain focused on just the fantastic outside of like the macabre as well. I think he could be really good at that. Have you guys ever seen Candyman? <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. Oh, yeah. okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, I don't have to explain it. Sick. Just podcast over. Game over. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, seen it. The, 
I think I actually like Candyman more than Hellraiser. I think it has it definitely that came out in ninety two, right? Yeah. Uh and that was definitely I think more colloquialized than Hellraiser. Like Nikki, how you were talking about um people that kind of aren't as familiar with it or like maybe only saw it once on like TV movie or something like that. Just think of Hellraiser as like, oh Pinhead's the bad guy, he's around killing everyone. When I was growing up, never saw Candyman, was terrified of it. Because every creepy house, like, well, specifically one creepy house in our, our town, people are like, oh, the Candyman lives there. You don't want to, you don't want to go there. And like, we had all these different, like, sort of explanations of what the Candyman was. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the same thing. And then seeing the movie, obviously, about nothing like what my dumb, like, nine-year-old friends were telling me at the time. When I was also nine, not me as an adult, hanging out with nine-year-olds. Um, as you do. <laughs> or don't. But the movie is definitely very, like... Because it was filmed in Cabrini Green in Chicago, while that was a place. And it's very... The movie itself is very, like, grimy and surreal. And... The setting is more of a character than, you know, like almost any other movie I've ever seen. Is that, like... This story can't exist somewhere else. It wouldn't have the same impact. The the area that it's in and the people in the area are a big part of it. Sorry, what were you saying, Alex? I just have you read the the short story? It's in the Books of Blood. I, uh, I think it's called The Forbidden. Uh, it doesn't take place in Chicago, but here's the thing is I completely agree with you that like it taking place in a housing project like it does is a huge, huge set piece that sort of strengthens the story in general. And uh, it blows my mind that we worked right next to that for oh, yeah. many years together. Sorry if I uh, hammered on what you were you were talking about there. Not at all. Nikki, do you have thoughts about Candyman? Yeah. Um, Candyman was a movie uh, kind of like Hellraiser. I didn't... I think I watched it for the first time as an adult. And like a young, young adult. And it didn't really stick with me the first time I watched it. Um, because it's a very, it's like a deeper story. It's like when you really have to understand kind of like the social nuances of it. And, you know, at the time I watched it, I was like, is this scary or is this not scary? Oh, I'm not very scared. And like, this guy doesn't look that scary. So I, I don't really care. So I didn't really appreciate it until I watched it years later and could actually like understand a little bit more about the plot and like have more respect for the setting of it in Chicago. Um so it's never it's one of those movies that's like never been up there for me as a favorite and one that I've probably watched less than 5 times in my life. But I do very much respect its place and like the zeitgeist of horror. Um and you know, I wish I had like a better or like more of a relationship with that movie because it is like really profound and just in the early nineties too, like the timing of it is just really interesting. So I don't know. I don't even have any like good deep thoughts other than I respect that movie. And it's another one. I actually did not know this was a Clive Barker based story at all. So, and it's kind of funny, the ones we've talked about so far, like to me, there's no, 
through line other than the gentle whisper or loud shout of sexual elements. But I also put Pinhead and Candyman, like I said, on the same level of I respect them as characters because they are summoned. They are not there to like fuck your shit up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like you did this. Like I was minding my own business. But mm-hmm. kind of respect the um, consent of his horror leads in a way that like almost makes them seem like gentlemen as horror characters. And like I would, I don't know, it would be really be cool to get Clive Barker in a rule in a room and like deep dive just how he developed these characters that are both scary, but like respectful is the wrong word but you know what i mean it's just something that they both have in common that is just really interesting and like i can't think of any other horror villain that fits into that camp the way those two do also speaking of sex voices tony todd oh yeah oh yeah yo tony todd also the grim reaper Sort of the Undertaker in Final Destination, another movie we've talked about too much. Yes. Yeah. Love you, Tony Todd. You're very cool. Okay, Tony Todd, sexy voice. Yes, yes, indeed, and also a very good portrayal of that character because, uh, much like, I think he's less aggressive than other characters. Like, yes, he's got a big hook for a hand. Yes, he spits bees out of his mouth and his chest. But like, uh, it's interesting. Like. Brad was describing earlier. That's another thing of through lining Clive Barker's books. It's like how he is a seductive, like, like quote, evil character. When obviously the evil is the injustice. It is not the actual Candyman. It is the living conditions that these people were in and the urban legends that spawned from the things these people had to go through in their lifetimes. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah, it's a very good story. Yeah. Do we do you guys know much about like Clive Barker's? take on the story or the movie i didn't read anything about like did he like the, the adaptation making it american yeah like do we yeah yep that's my I have, question i have no idea <laughs> i'm not gonna look it up now because that's just right if you have more information on that feel free to shout it my way but i do not know how he feels about Candyman, other than probably thankful for the remake this last year because, you know, keeps his name. Did come at, um, when I brought up Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments, Hellraiser was at 19, Candyman was number 75. I think that's, uh, uh, I think they're closer in quality than that, but also I don't see the rest of this list. I'm guessing number one is Halloween, probably. No, well, this is the tricky part about this, but I really think this uh, 100 list was something I watched so often as a kid. Number one, and it's movie moments, not movies. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Which the is the Exorcist? Then I guarantee you, it's The Exorcist. It the Exorcist is number three. Ooh, I'm wrong. Okay, all right. And that's the head spinning scene or the mm-hmm. spider walk scene. Yep. Okay. Uh, maybe I'll save this for the end, and you guys can. Okay. Yeah, that, that sounds good. Yes, other go. ones, okay. but well, Candyman was seventy-five. Open, but... <laughs> Close it. Well, okay. Well, it'll just be me then guessing the whole time. It'll be fine. Yeah, um, X out. I I did I do I mean this is pretty well known trivia. Um, but when they were filming the movie in Chicago, they did hire local like a local gang pretty much to like offer them protection while they were filming the movie. Um, because Cabrini Green was a violent area, 
as people probably know. Uh, and they actually included like a lot of shots of like the people that they had providing them protection in the movie. So like, there are scenes where what's your name? I want to say Rachel, but I don't think it's Rachel. The main Helen. character, Helen. Yes. Helen's walking in front of like the housing complexes and everything. And there are people sort of like shouting things at her. A lot of that was just the unscripted extras, like shouting at her like, as she walked by. Um, and I know on the last day of filming, they heard gunshots like as they were leaving and they checked the vans and they're like bullet holes, like all along the side of the vans, like that they were using to like tow stuff. So kind of scary sort of atmosphere for filming the movie in general. So thinking about anything like that happening on the North side of Chicago these days is so weird to me. I know that it does, but like, it's still the fact that even, uh, like, right-wing pundits consistently use Chicago as the sort of example for a city that's lost control is so ridiculous to me. And like the irony of them not seeing that's like clearly a group of people have not been given the resources they need to survive and they are all desperate. And that's why gangs pop up. It's just not, it's not a hard line to follow toward the end of that. And Chicago is not uh, a scary place to be. I'm not saying that there aren't gang infested areas and um, places where uh, disaffected people live. It's just that like, then fix it. Like, don't act like yeah. it's a war zone because they want it to be a war zone. They being uh, anybody uh, at a lesser um, privilege than my own. And I mean that with no irony at all. It's just Chicago. It's yeah. it's pretty cool. People should relax on that. Yeah. It's also um, at the place we used to work. Did you guys, were you there for that speaker we had? Uh, Tanika Johnson, I believe. I was. Yeah, yeah. Name. Yeah, I was Do you remember there. her folded map project that she presented on Chicago? I don't. It's, um, she did, well, she does, because I believe it's still ongoing. This mm. really cool uh, project where she has like basically a north side address and then the corresponding south side address like one two three north elm street and one two three south elm street okay. um like places that are kind of uh address twins but like on the north and south side and then like compares one the actual like physical living space of those locations which is obviously like night and day yeah. just with gentrification but then we'll have like the people that live in those places meet and talk about their communities and like their access to resources to kind of like build better bonds and understanding of those communities so it's a super super cool project i'm going a little off tangent but um it's the thing about candy yeah. that we can all identify with is it's about a place that we've all at least lived in and no, and uh, it's a piece of its history that could be forgotten because it was bulldozed and they put a target there. You know, like yeah. I also not to because um, I know where this is mostly a Clive Barker conversation versus a Candyman one, mm -hmm. but and I I know we talked a little bit, if not a lot, a bit about the new one that came out. Was it one year ago? Two years yeah, ago about now? A, about a year ago. About a year ago, and last just year, I'm gonna say. Yeah, and like the deep dive into, I did not really enjoy the yeah. remake, but it was interesting that uh, I appreciated that that movie tried to explore those themes more deeply, whether or not or it was unsuccessfully. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, more directly. Yeah. But 
yeah, I, I just had no idea Clive Barker was associated with it at all. Well, here's the fun thing is it is uh, the books of blood are obviously his big stack of short stories that were six volumes. I have a publishing of it that it's only three volumes. And Karen sent us a picture the other day and she got the first volume. So they split it all up again. And I don't know how that is, but it's, I want to say it's like 18 stories total, something like that. It might be a couple more, a couple less, but, uh, the, a lot of his movies or things have been adapted into, uh, from that have been adapted into films. Um, we've talked on the show before about midnight meat train. So that, that is another book of blood, which is clearly a little different than everything else. The movie, I mean, the, the story is short. It's only like 11 pages. And that is another Clive Barker thing that like I loves. Do you guys know anything about that movie or have you seen it? Saw it years ago. Did not know it was Clive Barker. Yeah. Wait, it say, is, say it again. Which movie? The Midnight Meat Train. It's Bradley Cooper. He's a photographer. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we've talked about this. Yes, yeah. we've it's, it's, it's also, you know, what I call myself other than sex voice to Pella. But uh, <laughs> that's, I can't even feign confidence. This is not who I am as a person this at is all. Our uh, Splatterbrains erotica movie, Midnight Meat Train. That's right. But no, it's, uh, it's weird because uh, obviously there's a lot of social implications, a lot of the stories. There's a lot of exploration of uh, sexuality and death in a lot of them. And Midnight Me Train, the movie, is just like a ridiculous... I mean, what's his name? Vinnie Jones plays the main killer in it, and he just hits people in the head with a hammer, and it's uh, ridiculous. But the story being 11 pages, when the ending happens, and I'm going to spoil it because it doesn't matter. Go watch the movie. I think it's very entertaining, and I think the story is great, and it'll take you 15 minutes to read, um, <clears throat> uh, is that there's a serial killer that's been hitting this train line over and over and over again. And then you, uh, in the story, it's just a person that got on the wrong train and they end up on the train with this person. Um, and then you realize what's going on at the end of the story. Whereas in the movie, they make it Bradley Cooper, a photographer who's going after trying to take photos in dangerous situations. So he'll take pictures of gangs actively, uh, doing gang related things or what this and that. So he goes looking for this, killer that's been hitting this train uh and you find out that what's really going on is that um there are chuds so cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers like green scaly creatures that uh eat people um living at the end of one of these train tunnels and to prevent them from coming up they have a designated person that feeds them so he just basically bops people on the head and brings them down to the end of the line at the end of the night and feeds them people so that they don't run, like rise up to the street and I that was exactly the type of thing where I was like yeah that rules but so many people <laughs> went into that movie thinking this is going to be just like a crazy aggressive serial killer movie and then they're like why are there creatures in this movie at the end of it because it's like the last five minutes that was uh, my experience <laughs> yeah of course it was uh, also that movie went through development hell much like many other Clive Barker related projects and it didn't get released into theaters proper. It was straight released into budget theaters. So I saw it in its theater run, but it was only released into a $2 theater in Racine, Wisconsin. I had to drive to because it was the only place to see it when it came out, even though they had been advertising it. No idea that was Clive Barker. That's my other my other fun Clive Barker thing. Um, I do have to rewind to Candyman one more time. I've said this before. And I'm going to say it again, but I also have a new thought about it. My biggest quip with Candyman 
it is the absurdity that you have to say Candyman five times. So as a <laughs> reminder, Candyman is Candyman. Three syllables times five. That's 15 syllables. That's absurd. Like, you should only have a one-syllable word or a two-syllable word to say three times. Fine. 15 syllables. If you think about a haiku, a haiku is five, seven, five. So that's 17 syllables. Now, so 15 isn't like a problem, but instead of just saying the same word over and over, it should have been like to summon Candyman, you have to like read this scripture. Like, you know, to ignite Chucky, you like read a little that doesn't pamphlet. Get it just curiosities, silly. Though. I mean, it is silly. It's like based on the whole Bloody Mary principle. I don't know. Right, but Bloody Mary, you know, it's like Candyman, like five times. It just feels like there, like a half hour could pass before you get to those fifteen syllables, and you could like stop dead in its course. Bloody Mary, you're right. To summon something, it should just be repeating a one-syllable word: boobs, 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 boobs. Boobs. (laughs) Go ahead, Alex. Show him. He's saying boobs. Are you saying boo urns? Beads, (laughs) Beads, <laughs> bees. Um, but it's just silly. And um, granted, like if this were real, that's great because it means there's fifteen syllables of fourteen syllables of opportunity to like get out of this situation wait, and wait, not. Wait, wait, wait. It's you commit. say Candy Man five times. Okay, yes. Yeah, I gotta get it. Fifteen. Candy, and then just walk away. Yeah, candy like man. literally, I could say Candyman, 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 Candy, ah! and then like back the fuck out, and then it doesn't happen. Yeah, but I don't know what the statute of limitations on saying yeah. Candyman is. When if you ever say reset? man at the rest of your life, like, are you doomed? Right, like, is there a reset? <laughs> it's just based? like three and a half years later, and you're like, man, and then all of a sudden he shows up and he's, he's like, like, yes, be my victim. What do you need? Like, yeah. shit. <laughs> yes. Oh, and then Mickey, you're alone I'm... in this thought. I think. Yeah, I think so too. I. Ah, I just think it's absurd. I mean, it is, but it's also a common like trope throughout uh, folklore in general to repeat something. I mean, Beetlejuice, same thing. Where they that was obviously pulled from the same sources as well, which I assume is bloody. Mary yeah, but for Beetlejuice three times. I don't know. Maybe I've been trained by pop culture that you only need to say things like three times. Like, there's no place like home. I think you only have to say a couple times. And no it just feels like home. silly. Also, fifteen syllables. So it's and the then, same. So what if you say there's no place like ho? I don't know. Then you're not going home. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. No place like ho. There's no place like ho. There's no place like ho. <laughs> Boobs. Boobs. Um, Boobs. <laughs> anyways, yes. Nikki, I think you're alone in that. And speaking of uh, just movies that are whatever weirdo. <laughs> movies that are sort of like tonally different from what we'd expect. I want to talk about Nightbreed a little bit. Did you say booby movies? I heard boobies too. You and said I boobies. Look face. The look on <laughs> your face. I was like, Nikki heard boobies too. You said <laughs> no. He said boopy. <laughs> I don't know. If, I hit my head, man. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. His frontal lobe. The frontal lobe. Yeah, Speaking the of lobe. misrepresented boobies. Yes. Movies. Shit. Go on. I'm movies listening. that are tonally all over the place. Uh, or like movies that you wouldn't. Given we just talked about Hellraiser and Candyman, two very uh, serious, like dark movies. I want to talk about uh, Nightbreed. Have you guys seen that? Yes. One time. I know yes. Alex has. What are your thoughts on it, Nikki? 
Are you a fan? Um, honestly, I watched it a couple years ago. I don't remember too much about it, but I thought I was like, this is goofy. Like, I think I was like, this is goofy. That's how I felt about it. It kind of reminded me of like an adult version of like a Disney Channel original movie. Like, it kind of reminded me of like Halloween Town (laughs) for adults. Yeah. I think I have the same opinion. It's based on his book called The Cabal, which I really want to read. It's very good. But yeah, I I went into Nightbreed. I know there's a huge following for it. I think I got the comic when that first started coming out when I was working at the comic book store, not really knowing anything about it. And I got the first couple of shoes. I was like, what the fuck is going on? What is this? And so I, I went into it because everybody fucking loves that. Everybody that's seen that movie, I feel like loves it. So I wanted to watch it. And it was it starts off creepy, creepily enough with Cronenberg, um, of all people, as a masked serial killer, like breaking into someone's house. Button face. Yeah. yeah. And his mask is creepy, and I love it. And then it turns into main character is helping a society of monster people. Okay, so he's, his therapist tries to convince him that he is blacking out and he is performing these, these killings in this mask and he doesn't realize it when it's really just his therapist trying to pin the blame on him so that he takes the fall for it. Um, and uh, he's been having dreams about these people in this other world, Midian. Uh, and then eventually uh, he is uh, he is blamed for being uh, the killer and he gets killed in a shootout but then he comes back from the dead after having gone to Midian and realizing that his dreams are a real place and he uh, after he passes away he sort of joins this weird society of monsters that you would think would be the bad guys and uh, eventually tries to expose like his killer and that sort of thing that's a brief synopsis of it um, but yeah it's uh, it's definitely I see what you mean because of all the different masks and the strange, like, it's almost like the Cenobites were friendly, because they are. I mean, they can be, like, people eating monsters, but they are. That isn't, like, their inherent nature. It is more or less to keep to themselves away from modern society. It's Halloween Town. Oh, it's Halloween Town. But it's his allegory for um, being a closeted gay man and coming out. Like, that's the whole point of the story. Um, oh. Which, if you look at it from that perspective, it's it's much different movie but I also don't think anything you're saying is wrong. I, I know exactly why you're saying what you're saying. Well, I, yeah. I mean, that's definitely right because Halloween Town came out in the year 1999. This came out well before that. So Halloween Town is Nightbreed. Was Nightbreed really. 90, 91, 92, something like that? Oh, yeah. Something early. Early 90s. We know that. Yeah. It's also not like a revolutionary trope to have like a secret society of people and a general public so that's just what i uh, I thought of i also as have we've mentioned in a lot of these is much of his work has gone through development hill and the stories have been changed they marketed that movie as a slasher movie not as a fantasy movie which it basically is that has a slasher in it but it's not even the ones that they showed um and they cut the movie into pieces and kind of like we were talking a week or two ago with Karen about how the Event Horizon had like a cut that nobody thought would ever be found again. Uh, eventually, Clive Barker got to put out a more complete version, and I believe it's mostly what his original vision was at this point. If you find the director's cut or the uh, Cabal edition, uh, I think those are different. I think there are three or so different cuts, which is endlessly frustrating. And I hate like it's the Star Wars problem of like how hard is it to just watch the original fucking Star Wars movie? 
you gotta like go out of your way to find the unspecial editions and shit. Anyway, I think it's great. I had the context before I saw it. So I went into that yeah. movie going, I know the point of this whole story. And I also am a fanboy of Clyde Barker in general. So just knowing his name and going into it, I was like, I was excited about it. Um, even though nothing he's done is perfect. Although Hellraiser is pretty close to perfect, if not perfect. Um, but uh, I also know why some people think it sucks. Because it is definitely messy and it is totally all over the place because there is a slasher. It's okay. In. Like, I wouldn't Try. say it sucks. I didn't walk out being like, this is stupid. I was just like, okay. I did. I walked out of my apartment and said, that movie was stupid. Yeah, he literally <laughs> left his home. Yeah. I don't. Do you guys have more to say about Nightbreed other than that? Other than just like, you watched I, it and I, you were like, I'm not sure about this one. I've wanted to give it another chance, but I honestly have no idea when or if I'll be able to do it because read read it first. Read Cabal. Do that. You'll 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 have a better time and you'll get the story that as it was intended. You you that's it. That's all you need. Um, Now that I'm married, most movies and shows I want to watch, I have to watch with my wife. And I feel like this is a movie she'll never let me put on. So similar boat. We're like finding time to just watch bullshit that I would watch. I'm I'm embarrassed. It has nothing to do with whether or not she'll care because she won't. But I'll just be like, I don't want to watch this in front of her. Yeah, it was like, like Nikki and I, the other, like when we did our weird extreme horror episode, I was like, I hope she's gone at some point so I could turn on <laughs> something like The Sadness and she doesn't have to watch me watch a movie where somebody gets eye fucked. It was like, I don't want, I'm not proud of that. It just happens in the shit I've watched. Meanwhile, so. I'm like, Mom, do you want to come over? I'm about to turn on a Serbian film. Okay, yeah. honey, on my way. <laughs> Adorable. Um, <laughs> I actually, the reason I've been looking at my phone is I've been trying to look up this artist for the last 10 minutes who I follow, and he does, like, sexy drawings of horror guys, and there's a really good one of Tony Todd as Candyman that I've been toying with buying. It was either going to be that one or Sexy Captain Spaulding. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me turn the brightness down. But like, It is, it is showing up. I saw the outline, at least, but... That's just a good drawing, too. Like, well, okay, let me show you. There's like some. They do the one really... with like the. Uh, is the, I know there's a famous photo that I've seen a billion people cosplay, including a friend of ours, of um, uh, what the hell? Scream. Yes. Uh, yeah, with, they have like. With, like, oh no, no, this is one that has like fishnet leggings on and stuff. Oh no! Oh, they have like this sexy baby predator. There's so many good ones. There's like um. Uh, I mean, name a character, and it's out here. But like the one of Michael Myers Grum- is just like. The Care Bears. Oh wait, the um, Pinhead. They have a really good Pinhead one that I almost was gonna buy, but I already have Pinhead-related art. Anyway, I'll show it when I find it. But I mean, sexy. Oh, this is the um, Leatherface. Yeah, I've seen the <laughs> Leatherface one. That's pretty good. Nicely manscaped Leatherface. Yeah. Maybe I should never use the word manscaped again. Cause, no, you, know, you can. Why not? Maybe hey, maybe it, one day manscaped will sponsor us. It says red rum on his butt. It should say red bum. Am I right? Hey. Is that inappropriate? Nah. Not yeah, it is. We need to flag yeah. this episode. And... This is what oh I want. God. I think this is what I need. Yeah, like that's holding is like a Chippendale. Yeah. Holy oh shit. <laughs> Woo! 
Okay. That's, that's Sid Haig. You just had a. Oh, that's the. Um, oh my god. Pinhead. That is pretty good with the Negan bat and everything. Yeah, don't threaten me with a good time. You know. Do we have any more uh, thoughts we want to get out about Clyde Barker? I have a question for you guys, and you might not be able to answer it, but I'm. Uh, I'll reveal it myself. Where did you ever hear his name in the first place? Do you know? Because like, like he's got such a strong like. It's like. Not even like a Stephen King, because when I think of Stephen King, I think of a lot of different things. Whereas with Clive Barker, I think of a very specific type of horror, like just like very fantasy driven, often sexual, like just not surreal per se, but just like it's just much more interested in taking you on this like almost like fairy tale type of journey compared to that. I the he did video games in the early or the late 90s there's one called undying that i remember getting a demo for and it was pasted it was on a pc gamer demo disc and it just had like clive barker's undying and it was huge and i was like i don't know who clive barker is and then eventually i found out that, that his name was associated with hellraiser so hellraiser would be like the first big thing and then i was just like who is this guy somebody lent me the books of blood that i used to work with and like that was my deep dive but like i i don't know i have such a strong association with association with the name i was wondering if that was a common thing or if that was just the horror fanboy being horror fanboy probably that i feel like i yeah yeah because i mean other than just his name kind of being slapped across hellraiser and that being my association like all of his other work i didn't even know like even though i've connected Candyman and pinhead as characters in terms Mm -hmm. of like how they come off like there's nothing about his work to me that's like a very obvious through line like once i know the titles and can dissect them i'm like oh yeah there's like sexual elements here blah 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 versus stephen king like a stephen king work will feel like a stephen king work to me but yeah i don't know i don't know that i have like a strong list of people like that in general Mm -hmm. so i'm the wrong person asking also you guys you know i don't read so like i'm not going to be familiar with things that aren't just a, a popular movie you don't read like Karen is supposedly old where she just constantly says it. And you're like, okay, except we know that you've read at least one or two books in our, like the time that we've known you, you've done it. So I know you're capable. So as much as you might not do it all the time, you, you do do it. I know how for sure. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but Karen is old as shit. Karen is. Oh my God. Don't, don't feed into that. She's, I hope she hears this. She's more youthful than the rest of us put together. She knows what a TikTok is better than any any one of us. It doesn't mean she's not 134 years old. Shit, I stay. I sit corrected, so I take back everything I said. She's an elder being known as... She's actually Benjamin Button. She has <laughs> Benjamin Button syndrome. All right. She's aging backwards. So she's middle-aged now? Or no, she'd yeah. be, I guess, post... I don't know. I think I also probably know wow. Clive Barker from video games in the 2000s probably probably yeah. uh but actually you actually just unlocked a memory of mine so i've i've like three instances of recognizing the name clive barker before kind of like understanding who he was the video game early on when i was really young in high school we had comcast and i would just like scroll through like all comcast like on demand free movies and i put, actually put nightbreed on and it was like a Clyde Barker. Well, sounds familiar. And I turned it off after like 10 minutes once it showed like the the monster people like doing like acrobatics through like a dark field. Um, which is an odd scene. Then in when I worked at the comic book store, like I said, I got a couple of uh, 
they have Nightbreed comics when they first came out, but before that, I got his comic book, The Next Testament, which is about like God coming back and being like corporeal on Earth and being like a crazy fucker. Um, that was interesting. I, just, I would like to read that. Fuckers that are bust out of the fucking wall. Um, but I think at that time I was like, oh, this is Clive Barker. This is like, I don't care for this at all. And here I am now with like stack of like 10 books in my shopping cart for next time I order some books of Clive well, Barker's. And you started Books of Blood, didn't you, recently or not that long ago? No, I don't own it. I thought, I thought you did. Oh, well. I quit. Next time. Cool. Any uh, closing thoughts we want to express um, about anything? I do want to have Alex and Brad, if you didn't look, guess what the top two Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments. Before we do that, I would like to say that I watched Lord of Illusions because that was the other movie he directed, and I'd never seen that. I watched it today to talk about it. I have nothing to say about it. <laughs> That's it. I watched it and I went, okay. I think I've seen cool. it, and I just yeah. don't remember it, but yeah. It's, it's pretty pretty weird. Uh, it I like what it tries to do, where it's a uh, like a hard-boiled detective story, but he just happens to be following around occult stuff. But that's not how the movie plays out at all. It's it's fine. Mm. It's fine. It's my least favorite of the movies he directed. Fair. But I'm glad I, I watched it finally. This is what inspired me to do that. So anyway, the, the top 100 horror things that Brad already knows about. Brad, did about you see... how much Bravo seems to have inspired you as a person? Yeah, because this is before like Bravo was the Bravo that I know. Yeah, this you know? is what brought you in. So horror brought you to the Real Housewives. Horror, that's right, which is, as we say, a whole other horror story. Mm-hmm. So number three I spoiled was The Exorcist. Brad, did you see number two and one? Yeah. Oh. Sorry. Well, you want to you make a guess based on that? What's number two? No. Brad, mm. shut your mouth. Don't say well, it. Okay, if it's not The Exorcist... Uh, I'd be proud of them if they put Night of the Living Dead that high, but I don't think they did. No. Uh, I'll tell you what, like, because it's Bravo and this was for TV, like, think of the average horror consumer. Like, you know, we're not getting deep for number two and one. Scream? No. Okay. Okay, I'll give you a hint. Freddy Krueger? They're both from the 70s. Number one and number two. It's not Halloween. No, because it's moments. Think of like iconic horror moments. We talked about one of these movies earlier. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we made a briefly. Sure. What the thing? Okay, one yeah, of them the is the very much reminds me of Karen. One very much reminds me of you. Okay, so Carrie. No. Okay. I mean, I guess. But like, I like mind. where you're going. Okay. Okay. Uh, do you want another hint? Or yeah, sure. Why not? I have no okay. idea. So number two. Seventies. Trying to think. The seventies. Um, it's, it says the name of the scene in the description. So gory and so scary. Gorehound Eli Roth actually threw up after the movie. Which I think, like, okay, Eli, like, what the fuck? It wasn't that. No, no, he didn't. Uh, They referenced the movie in Ferris Bueller. Now now I feel real bad, because I don't remember. Number two, it's like a body horror moment. And it's not on this planet. (laughs) Okay, so it's Alien? 
Yes. Number okay. two is alien. The chestburster scene. You know, it's funny as the chestburster scene. I think it's scarier to see the android spitting up like milk out of its body. That scene yes. bugs me so much in that movie more than the chestburster. I can see why. That's that's fine. That that is an iconic moment in movies. It's been parodied a million Ugh. times. Prove Number this Bravo one. list from twenty years ago. Yes, right. Yeah, I do. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah. Number one is I just think of you. Like that's that's your hint. Okay, well, it's the seventies, so it's not Reanimator, and also they're not that cool. Um, because you said it was for the modern horror audience, or just like like for like a general horror oh, audience. Texas Chainsaw. No, that one is actually number five, and that's the that, that sledgehammer. Is scary where he just boops him on the head, and it's just terrible. Uh, yeah, that scene is intense in the body. Did you say he boobs him on the head? Yeah, he just boobs him right on the head. He just takes him, just gives him a good smash. The description uh, for the number one moment is: they say the moment, and they're like, "How? Da, da, da. Anything could could be happening." But I also think the severed head scene was pretty scary too. That actually might be a little bit of a miss. Because when I think of the severed head, I think of the omen because of the decapitation with like the glass and the sign. Um, Okay, your last hint. I gave you a present related to this movie. Oh, it's Jaws. It's Jaws. Yeah, Yeah. okay, all right. Yeah, I don't know why. It's much like uh, you having hot takes sometimes. I don't think of Jaws when I think of horror, even though it's... I absolutely think of Jaws when I think of horror. But, like, it's such like a comfort movie for me it's like feels like you talking about disney channel original movies is me watching yeah. jaws on tv whenever it was on it's like a watching. summer film like a summer yeah. feel-good family movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> i it's so funny my mother-in-law has just been like it's just decided one day that like jaws was our movie that we watch on july 4th every year and we do it now and it's because I, I never had any say in that she was just like we do it every year and she just said that like the year after we did it the first time and I think it's been three or four years and we've watched it and uh, it's great. I get to watch Jaws and everybody else gets to nap on the couch around me. You know, you should say to her, be like, you know, mother-in-law, amity means friendship. Yes. That's, mm-hmm. Man, there are so oh, many yeah. quality lines in that movie. It, is, uh, it grows on me. The graphics, not great. but <laughs> <laughs> When my um, uncle is drunk enough, he'll... Drunkle? My drunkle... At family parties, he'll be like, oh, like a doll's eyes. And yeah, that's kind of like all he'll say. Doll's eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a big, like, that's a big character um, unifier on my mother's side of the family. Is like when some of the folks would drink, they'd kind of get into the uh, Quint voice and just be like, ah, da, 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 bow-legged my, women, uh, doll's eyes. Favorite part in that. Or my favorite um, uh, Hooper moment is when he makes fun of his voice and he does the pirate thing while they're on the ship. He's like, arr, arr, Captain. Yeah, yes. Uh, so, Brad, where could you find us on social meds? Oh, geez. On social meds. You can find us on Instagram at Splatterbrains Podcast. On Twitter at Splatter underscore Brains. Facebook at Splatterbrains Podcast. You can email us. Yeah. Email us at brains splatter. Brains plural. What? Uh, Nikki's favorite. Okay, so finish what you're doing and then I'll. I'll brains. Sp- <laughs> email us at brains 
plural, brainssplatter at gmail.com. And we just created a subreddit. So uh, there's not a lot going on in there. But come to the subreddit and uh, see us talking to ourselves. It'll be great. Post yeah. some stuff. Talk to some hot takes. Yeah. I, uh, I was just going to say, my, so a couple of friends of mine uh, a week or two ago went to the Strive-In Theater. That's like, a, it's right across the border from where we're at in Pennsylvania. And they saw a Hellraiser and they got me this t-shirt, which I received from them yesterday. I'm currently wearing a Hellraiser t-shirt. Shout out to Lex and Leon. Thank you very much. I was showing Nikki that you can see Sexy Frank in the middle of the shirt. Oh, I know. Oh, He's I, not big enough. Yeah, okay. I can't tell what that was. It I looks mean, like... <laughs> There it is. Yep. Sexy Frank like with the puzzle Julia box. Julia and Bloody Frank like have like some weird slime thing connecting their mouths. They do. And the slime thing Julia, is Sexy Frank. Julia's Julia the luckiest Gullia? woman. Julia Gullia is the Gullia. luckiest woman yes. in horror. She gets to go to Pound Town with Uncle Frank. With, with, with just muscle and goop, Uncle Frank. Oh, yeah. When he smooches her and he's got like his button up shirt is like goopy stuck to him. Ooh. All the way to uh, end the podcast. Yep. Uh, and, and on that note, <laughs> Goopy Frank. Bart. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>